Justice Alito has the opinion of the Court in Case 17-586, Abbott v. Perez, and the consolidated case. Uh, these cases concern congressional and legislative districting plans that were adopted by the Texas Legislature in 2013. The background of the cases is somewhat complicated, but I will try to keep the summary relatively short. The 2000 10 census revealed that the population of Texas had increased by more than 20 percent, and this required the adoption of new districting plans for the congressional delegation and for both houses of the Texas legislature. In doing this, the Texas legislature was required to comply with the many legal demands imposed by federal law. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment not only requires districts that are substantially equal in population, but it restricts the race of uh, the use of race in drawing districts. At the same time, the Voting Rights Act may pull in the opposite direction, since it sometimes requires states to draw districts based largely on race. In 2011, Texas was still subject to Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act and thus could not adopt any new districting plans without proving to the satisfaction of the Attorney General or the United States District Court for the District of Columbia that the new plans would not re- result in retrogression with respect to the ability of minorities to elect their candidates of choice. In addition, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act may require the creation of so-called opportunity districts, that is, districts that give minorities the opportunity to elect their preferred candidates. Confronting this complicated web of laws, the Texas Legislature enacted new districting plans in 2011. In order to meet its obligations under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, it filed an action in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia seeking a declaratory judgment pre-clearing the new plans. Uh, Texas lost in the district court, but due to our decision in Shelby County versus Holder in 2013, striking down Section 5's coverage formula, that litigation ended before we could hear Texas's appeal. In addition to this litigation in D.C., the new plans were challenged under the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act in a lawsuit that was assigned to a three-judge court in the Western District of Texas. The state needed districting plans to be used in the 2012 elections, and the plans adopted by the legislature could not be used because they had not been pre-cleared. Therefore, the three-judge court in Texas adopted its own plans for use in those elections. Texas appealed, and we reversed. And we gave that court very specific instructions about what it was to do on remand. We instructed the court to start with the plans adopted by the Texas legislature in 2011, but to make any adjustments required by the Constitution and the Voting Rights Act. Indeed, we told the court to err in favor of remedying any alleged legal deficiencies. The district court then ordered new briefing, held two days of argument, and issued two lengthy opinions responding to the plaintiff's legal challenges on a district-by-district basis. It accepted some of those challenges and rejected others, but it stressed that its evaluation was not final. The Court substantially modified numerous districts 
in both the Congressional plan and the plan for the State House of Representatives. After those plans were used in the 2012 elections, the Texas Attorney General recommended that the legislature enact those plans for use in subsequent elections. He advised the legislature that by doing this, it would fend off legal challenges. The legislature followed this advice. It repealed the 2011 plan plans and enacted the plans adopted by the court with only a few changes. And those plans were used in both 2014 and 2016. Last year, however, the three-judge court reversed its prior analysis and held that several of the districts in those plans are unlawful. The court first reviewed the repealed 2011 plans, which had never been used, and found that they were tainted by racially discriminatory intent. The court then turned to the operative plans, which were largely the same as those adopted by the court itself in 2012 on an interim basis, and held that the 2013 legislature had not cured the discriminatory taint in the 2011 plans. The District Court invalidated Texas's plans and held that the flaws in those plans must be remedied. It gave the legislature three days to say whether it would spring into action, and when the legislature did not respond within that period, the Court began the process of developing new plans with the obvious objective of requiring their use in this year's elections. Texas appealed from those orders, and we granted the state's motion for a stay. We postponed consideration of jurisdiction to the merits and received briefing and argument. Before turning to the merits, our opinion first holds that we have jurisdiction to review the district court's orders under 28 U.S.C. Section 1253, which gives us jurisdiction to review interlocutory injunctions issued by three-judge courts. Although the orders in this case are not styled as injunctions, they have the same practical effect as an injunction barring the use in this year's elections (coughs) of the plans adopted by the Texas Legislature in 2013. In a case concerning the statute giving the Courts of Appeals jurisdiction to to hear appeals from orders granting interlocutory injunctions, We held that what matters is whether an order has the practical effect of an injunction, not the particular terminology used by the Court, and we see no reason not to apply the same rule here. Turning to the merits, we first consider whether the three-judge Court applied the correct burden of proof when it found that the 2013 Legislature acted with discriminatory intent. Although intent is a factual issue and a district court's findings of fact are reviewed for clear error, the burden of proof is a question of law, and we do not defer to a district court's interpretation of the law. And if a finding of fact is based on the application of the wrong burden of proof, it cannot stand. That is the situation here. It is always the plaintiff's burden to prove discriminatory intent, and we have made it clear in districting cases that the good faith of the legislature must be presumed. The three-judge court in this case violated these rules. It flipped the burden of proof on its head by imposing on the 2013 legislature the obligation of proving that it had experienced a true change of heart and had engaged in a deliberative process to ensure 
that the 2013 plans cured any discriminatory intent from the 2011 plans. Uh, excuse me. That was fundamentally wrong as a matter of law and requires reversal. And when the evidence in this case is evaluated under the correct framework, it is clear that the finding of discriminatory intent cannot stand. The 2013 legislature adopted plans that the district court itself had previously approved, albeit at a preliminary stage of the litigation. The legislature stated that it took this approach in order to comply with the law and to bring the litigation to as swift a close as possible, and there is no direct evidence to the contrary. As for the circumstantial evidence, we discuss it at length in our opinion, and we conclude that it cannot reasonably support a finding of discriminatory intent. That disposes of the bulk of the issues in the case. The district court's decision was based on its flawed finding of discriminatory intent with respect to all but four districts. As for those districts, we discussed them at some length in the opinion, and I will not go into those details here. In the end, we hold that three of these districts are lawful, but that one, Texas House District 90, is not. We therefore reverse in part, affirm in part, and remand for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. Justice Thomas has filed a concurring opinion in which Justice Gorsuch has joined. Justice Sotomayor has filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, and Kagan have joined.